Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is one and a half weeks. We are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we thought it would be important to look at what his resurrection actually says to the world. Welcome to the Salty Pastor. Um, During this series, we are asking three questions. What would Jesus say to our society? What would Jesus say to our political leadership? And what would Jesus say to you? Let's welcome our Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. Greetings, everyone. I know how many people are using the Salty Pastor to grow spiritually, and so we just want to endeavor to help you do that, first and foremost, by digging into the Bible and discovering what are the biblical principles, because most of the New Testament, you have four biographies on the life of Jesus, then you have the Acts of the Apostles, and then all the other books in there are pretty much uh, letters written to churches addressing very specific issues, except for the book of Revelation. Now, our goal is to go in, study those, understand the biblical principles, and then on Thursdays, we try to apply those to our contemporary life. Well, today we're going to be discussing what Jesus would say to our politicians, right? Um, It seems to me that people who do what you do, preaching the gospel, have one of two basic approaches Mm -hmm. when they address this topic. First, they they decry the politicians, (laughs) they issue God's curse upon them, and have a generally low opinion of them. The church should be doing everything to go to war with the godless heathens running our country. <laughs> that, that, is, sound, that sounds like that's, a, a that's first, one side of it. First yes. one. Okay. okay. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, the message seems to be one of non-involvement. You know, maybe pray for them if you want, but pretty much ignore them even when things aren't going in a good direction. Yeah. Basically saying Jesus wouldn't say anything to the politicians at all. They would just go and do their own thing. So <laughs> yeah, that is I'm kind of really curious to see which end of the spectrum or maybe in the middle you come down on well, this. Well, I'm interested where I'm going to come down on this as well. <laughs> We're making it up as we go today. <laughs> well, first of all, in all seriousness, I think... You know, criticizing the first option, you know, criticizing our politicians is kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, To be able to sit here and criticize bad decisions is the easiest thing for anybody to do. Our societies become expert at that. We look at leaders and then it's a piece of cake to be an armchair quarterback and to criticize that. So, uh, you know, I don't generally like just the easy way, you know, because then that just becomes like, you know, a snack food, you know, right. uh, intellectually, it's just snack food. It doesn't really do anything for you to grow spiritually. Secondly, I don't, I don't think we can just sit by and do nothing. Uh, there is a book out called The Benedictine Option, and it's basically the notion that the church should kind of retreat and let the culture go off the cliff. And then once it does that, it allows us to come back into the culture and revive it. But I think that the difficulty with that position is that it's based on the notion of the monasteries and the nunneries and everything that happened throughout Western civilization in the the late probably 8th century all the way up to the 17th and 18th century. Mm. The problem is, is that those things existed within Western civilization. And if you look at the monasteries and the nunneries that existed in the Islamic world, those things don't exist anymore because they were going, the, peop, the, the politics at that time went in and just wiped them out, massacred those people. So I, I think that if we allow um, our civilization in America today and we withdraw from it, I don't think they're going to let us withdraw into safe havens you know, they're going to go in, when you look at the ideologies that are being propagated, is they're going to go in 
uh, just like the Islamic uh, caliphates did and just totally wipe those people out. They'll wipe us out mm. because our, just our very existence is a threat to their ideology. So I don't really think we can sit on the sideline and do nothing. Uh, I, I, I think you're right. I guess let's, let's kind of discuss what the, we, we discussed a little bit about this on the, uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday with yeah. the biblical principles, kind of saw what Jesus had previously said to politicians. Um, and, uh, let's see how we can apply those in the most practical okay. way today. Yeah. Um, one of the first biblical principles is that we must be respectful, right? That's something we talked about on Tuesday, even when it's difficult. How can we be respectful when it's difficult. Well, let me, <laughs> it's let me, easy for us to hear you say that, but so I need that. some like real, real solid examples or, or a let's little be, more explanation. Yeah, let's be practical, but let's um, also be very principally focused. And that is, is that the whole point of faith is to know what you believe and why you believe it and then stick with that. In the series, The Band of Brothers, uh, which is a personal favorite of mine, it follows Easy Company in the 101st Airborne from its training, its formation, its training, its drop into Normandy, and then its eventual conclusion of the war when they were at Birch's Garden. Now, Easy Company was initially led by an incompetent and cruel captain by the name of Captain Sobel. But right before Normandy, he was reassigned. He eventually ended up in supply. Well, Lieutenant Winders, who served under him, uh, he constantly peppered Winters with just harassment. And, but Winters on Normandy became the leader of Easy Company, and then he was promoted to captain, and then he was eventually promoted to a battalion commander as a major. And so he outranked Sobel. Now, towards the end, one of the ways they brought some kind of closure to everything is Sobel was operating supply. He was still a captain. He walks by Major Winters, who is sitting in a Jeep, and he refuses to salute him. So Major Winters stops him and says, Captain Sobel, we salute the rank, not the man. Mm. And then Sobel then salutes him. And so, so to me, that's a really an, an interesting thing is that he was holding Sobel accountable to the principle of why we salute, not, not uh, resolving a personal grudge. And I think that's kind of an important thing, way to look at it. Uh, so the principle here is that if we believe in it and respect the principles America was built on, we respect the principles and the office designed to protect or implement those principles, not necessarily the individuals who we may or may not agree with holding a particular political office. So how do we do this in a practical sense? Well, I think the first thing it's really important for followers of Christ to do is we need to separate the individual from the office. We have an overly developed sense of emotional investment in the individuals. Our politicians are treated like celebrities. Uh, sometimes even royalty. The whole purpose in the founding of America is to dispense with all that. It is that we are to treat all human beings as equal. And so that's right there in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. So the notion of royalty or even a celebrity is absurd in America. But our media, our technology, uh, giants like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all the other ones... You look at Hollywood, you look at all the entertainment industry, the news media, it needs celebrities. 
uh, to drive its ratings and to drive its influence and culture. It needs celebrities. So I understand when Christians find someone who is a celebrity that advocates for them. Like, well, this person's going to advocate for us. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, getting behind what you would consider a champion in the political realm and supporting that and giving money to it and voting for those people. I don't think there's anything unbiblical about that. However, I think it's really important to be careful not to fall into an emotional trap. And that is, uh, this person is going to save us. No, they're not. This person is going to change the, well, not necessarily. In Christianity, we only have one celebrity, and that's Jesus. He is the only celebrity. So let's not forget that. Because if I get too emotionally invested in political celebrities or political movements, then I'm giving Satan an opportunity to manipulate me emotionally. You know, he can pull me into uh, a back alley fight and I'm back there swinging, you know, thinking I'm doing the Lord's work when really I'm just involved in a back alley fight. Right. Right. Uh, and so it's very important to remember we have one celebrity. We, we're here to, to honor and lift up the name of one person, and that's Jesus Christ, Son of God. The second thing I think is that we have to constantly remind ourselves that our citizenship is first in heaven. You know, that principle where Jesus spoke about it in John 18, 36 and John 19, 11. And the reason why you want to keep your citizenship in heaven and not here on earth as a priority is because it gives you objectivity. You see, it allows you to be more... Uh, reasonable. It allows you to think more clearly. You're not all emotionally jacked up. And when something doesn't go your way, uh, it keeps your head clear. You see, you're going to have more joy. You're going to have a lot more joy when your citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth as a priority. Because uh, it's not necessary to win every single political battle. You don't have to win every one. You see, you want to win, you work to win, but when you lose, you have a certain objectivity. It's like, oh, we live to fight another day. It's going to be okay. Uh, It also gives you more hope when you can be a hope-filled person so that when your candidate loses or doesn't do what you want them to do, then you're not ready to give up. You're, you don't fall into despair. Especially over something you really can't control. Like, yeah. cause those, I mean, the elections are, they're a countrywide thing. So there's going to yeah. be people that agree and disagree with you. And so if you're putting all your hope in these political celebrities and they lose, you're always going to have this like despair and you're going to be yeah. hopeless, but you know, nobody's, go, nobody's beaten Jesus yet. Yeah, so he's, and, you, <laughs> and then you go, you know, God isn't in control and why is God letting this happen? And why is God doing this? And God doesn't care. And so then you kind of give it weakens your faith. It doesn't strengthen your faith all because you have an attitude or a mentality that your citizenship is here on earth first and in heaven second. Mm. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Don't, ever forget that. And that way you can uh, win or lose and be filled with joy, filled with hope, because it's always a win-win for you, you know. Uh, It also allows you to have more love in your life, you know, just that sense of fulfillment and meaning instead of a disappointment and despair. You know, all politicians are going to disappoint you. All political systems will disappoint you. 
because they are of human invention. Mm. They're, they're, and human beings are imperfect. You know, I've been married 32 years, and I think that my I've disappointed my wife at least a couple of times. Okay, maybe more than that. Maybe a couple. Does she listen to this? Is she going to hit you back with this later? <laughs> she could come back. And so anything she says is true, I'm sure. The third thing I think we need to do is we need to learn that government politics is a tool. It's actually a sport. And we need to learn the sport, learn the tool, and how to use it in the most effective manner. And when I'm objective... Uh, when I have a certain clarity, I can do that so much better. Here's an illustration of that is I have a friend who has an investment company. He's an asset manager. And so people uh, with means come to him and say, hey, we want you to manage our assets for us. And the basic premise is this, is when you manage your own money, and especially as that money grows, you tend to get too emotionally involved with your own money. And you need somebody who's objective. Same reason why in a situation where you have a case, you go see a lawyer. You need someone who is objective and not emotionally tied into it. Why do you want that? Because you want uh, people who are not emotionally wrapped up into it make better decisions. It's the same thing in the medical community, and that is, is if you're a doctor, you're not allowed to treat your own family. You're not allowed to do that. Why? Because doctors make bad decisions when they're operating on their own family. See, right. they, they're emotionally tied up. You want a surgeon who's good at their job and that she can come in and do whatever she needs to do, and she's not emotionally jacked up in the you know, wrapped up in the outcome. And so she's more rational. She's more reasonable. Well, in the same way, when we keep our, our uh, citizenship in heaven first, and when we see that, you know, there's a difference between the principles of, of uh, America and then the politicians that hold offices that are supposed to do that, it gives us a certain level of objectivity so we can go out, we can keep our heads in the game and our hearts in heaven where it belongs. So let's talk more about this being a tool. Um, I'm assuming you're not just calling politicians tools, like no, no. as an insult. <laughs> I mean, you're talking something different. So what do you mean government is a tool and what should we learn uh, about how to use it for the greatest advantage? Well, here's where it can kind of start to get uh, complicated and it's really important to think of it in a certain way. And I, I want people to understand. Now, first and foremost, in the New Testament, we see Paul, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles uh, book, he used the government on numerous occasions uh, in order to advance or protect himself in advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, he was in Philippi, and he cast a demon out of this woman who was a truth teller, you know, and, and so she lost, she couldn't do that anymore. And so her bosses were like, dude, we just lost a boatload of money. And so <laughs> they arrested him. They did false accusations. And then they, what they did is they flogged him. Oh man! Now, what's interesting about that is you're not allowed to do that to Roman citizens. So then, uh, so Paul, then he says, we're Roman citizens. And they're like, oh. So he used his citizenship, right, his politics, a political position, in order to get out of jail and get freedom again. He does it again when he is in front of uh, Festus, 
when he was arrested the last time in Rome towards the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 25. Then he's there for two years, and then he goes before Festus, the Roman governor. And the Jews, the Jewish leadership there of the Sanhedrin, wanted to take Paul back to Jerusalem. They were down at Caesarea. He wanted to take uh, uh, Paul back to Jerusalem so they could kill him on the way, right? And so he says, well, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had a right to do that. He could appeal to Caesar. And so that's what he did. And so we see the uh, examples of Paul using the political system as a tool to protect his freedom to continue to do ministry. So uh, I think he did not try to use the tool to advance the kingdom of God in any way, shape, or form. So he didn't use it to advance the kingdom. He only used it to maintain his freedom to do uh, his ministry. And there's a very important point there, I think. So, so Paul's approach is a repudiation of the bureaucratic church during uh, the medieval times. Like, for instance, in the uh, 8th and ninth century, Charlemagne, who went through, he tried to be the Holy Roman Emperor again. And he was the first one that actually unified the entire European uh, uh, geographical region since Rome but he forcibly converted people to Christianity, which is ridiculous. Uh, the Roman Catholic uh, Spanish Inquisition in Spain after the Reconquista, or, or when they reconquered it and drove the Moors out. So, so it's really important is that the, the tool to advance the kingdom of God can never be politics or government. It can't. This is written into the founding of the nation of America the separation of church and state, even though that, that term never actually uh, appears in the Constitution, it appears in a letter that Thomas Jefferson was writing. And of course, today it's completely misinterpreted because in a sense, what it was all about was if we make it so that the government cannot influence the church or control the church for political means, then the church will continue to be the church. All it needs is the freedom to do ministry and nobody can manipulate it. And that's why, you know, it says in the first amendment that the government shall make no law concerning a religion. So it doesn't matter whether it's a health order or it's a tax position or anything in between. The government in its own constitution cannot make any law and forcibly make a religious church abide by it. Mm. So that's really important to understand. Now, on the other side of it is, is that the church should never and cannot ever use the government to try to propagate its principles, its ministry, its approach, or anything at all, uh, because it's a tool, and it's a tool for governance. It is not a tool to advance the kingdom of God. So kind of what I'm learning is that, you know, it, it's, it's basically how to view the government as a system or a tool um, and learn how to use it in an ethical manner um, it's, it's like playing an earthly game. You're not, you're not using right. it to advance. You're just using it. It's almost like you're using it as a, I want to, it's almost like a defense thing rather more than anything. It's not, you're not actively using it to advance ministry, but you can defend the ministry with it 
with some of the rules that have been placed in in uh, line by the founding fathers, like correct, you can influence the church, the church can influence you. So it's more of that kind of a thing rather than offense, you know, actively going out and trying to minister to people utilizing this. Yeah, tool. I mean, it, we and we do this all the time uh, in everyday life. You have a young lady, she's a really good soccer player, and she gets a scholarship to play uh, soccer at Boise State, you know, or be in gymnastics, or she's a swimmer, a track star, a volleyball star, whatever. So she goes and she gets a scholarship to play at D1 level. And so she's on the team. She's da da da. But, but what she's doing is she's also getting an education. So she uses the tool of sports and her scholarship, right? But when she's in class, she's not sitting there going, give me an A because I'm a D1 athlete. You know, give me an A or I'm going to lose the game on Sunday. You know, she's not doing that, right? They're totally separate even though they work in tandem together and so i think that's really a critical point that we need to understand is that that politics and our form of governance is a tool it's like a game and what we need to do is get really good at playing the game we need to understand the tool and how it operates and now this is my my opinion it's not an exposition of a of a particular biblical principle. We see in Corinthians, Paul does this when he says, hey, the Lord doesn't say this, but I say it, you know? So I guess this is a educated, based on experience opinion that uses biblical principles as a foundation or a framework. And that is this, is that we need to oppose at every level possible in the game of politics and in our government, every attempt to control information and censor public positions. And the reason why is because this comes out of this neo-Marxist ideology that is sweeping our country, particularly in universities. And that is this, is that, uh, Gramsci was an Italian philosopher. He was a Marxist, and he talked about a thing called the cultural hegemony. And the cultural hegemony is that basically his point is, is that when you come in and you have this Marxist ideology that you're trying to oppose, and we see this in the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, and now we see it in critical race theory, you see it in gender studies, you see it in the radical feminist movements called third wave feminism, not the early suffrage movements, but what they now call third wave feminism. You see this over and over again uh, by uh, extremely left progressives. Uh, who are not liberals at all. They're leftist progressives. They're Marxists, and, and they have this ideology to destroy. And what they want to do is they want to use culture to try to silence people, deplatform people, and all of these types of things. So we have to, we have to be opposed to that. But we don't, we don't oppose it by taking those people into a back alley and trying to give them a, a rhetorical thrashing, Right. What we want to do is we want to bring to light the incipient irrationality of their position. We need to show and point out that their position is built upon Marxist ideology. We need to point out that everything they're doing is destructive. And what they're doing is when you try to do this is in cultural hegemony is you invert the meaning of language. You see a perfect example of this is the word equal. That is, is that I don't know of a single follower of Christ who wouldn't say all human beings are equal. It's like I said earlier, it's written into the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, correct? 
Well, then what happens is they change. So we want equal opportunity. We want everybody to have the same op, uh, option to pursue whatever, you know, it's a level playing field. Well, they've changed that word from equality to equity. And people say, well, it's close enough. I think that's cool. You're just speaking with an accent. But you have no idea how much they've changed the meaning of that word. Horseshoes and hand grenades is what they're playing Yeah, right now. it's just crazy because equity is totally different. Equity means it doesn't matter who you are as an individual and what responsibility you have to pursue your own education. It has nothing to do with... Uh, how intelligent you are, or even your own proclivity. Like, well, I would rather work with my hands and I want to be outdoors or man, I, I can't, I love being on CAD programs and designing things. That doesn't matter. Uh, what your individual proclivity is irrelevant. What we want to do is we want to absolutely and unequivocally have an outcome based thing, which is basically communism. Uh, I mean, there's no way to get around that. Here's a perfect example. Cigna, one of the largest insurance companies in the United States of America, has just been exposed through internal memos where they have uh, instructed their HR department to not hire white men anymore. This is like that article we read uh, last week on the university that was also doing something similar. Same type of things. And now say, well, how in the world could you use skin color to determine whether you hire someone? This is the opposite of the Civil Rights Act. It's also opposite of these uh, things in the Constitution. Uh, Yet it's happening. Why? Well, because of equity. It's not about equality of opportunity, it's all about equity. And that is we're going to force an outcome. It's is blatant, hardcore social engineering. And where that ends up is absolutely and unequivocally totalitarian every single time. Just remember the animal farm when the pig says, well, some animals are more equal than others. And that's what equity does is it pushes that. So, I think that's one of the really big things that you have to be careful of. I also think that we have to be really careful and be good at playing this game and watch out for the use of justice for political means. And that is how, you know, people who use the justice system for political means. And what's really interesting is back in the 70s and the 80s, the ACLU and a number of other Uh, organizations that were formed that had bought into this early forms of this ideology from the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, what they started to do is they noticed that the way our justice system works is based on case law, which they wrote into it this notion, hey, we have a capacity to change, you know, the law over time. And so what they started to do is they planted all these seeds to get what they wanted. And it, and, and, Christians in particular just assumed that the justice system was uh, uh, free from this. It would always be justice. Justice is blind and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, justice can be manipulated, as we talked on Tuesday and before, uh, by people who have low character, people who have nefarious purposes, and they can do that over and over again. And in Agramsky's cultural hegemony, they want to do that. And so it wasn't until probably around 2000 that these uh, Christian organizations started to form, which I'm very supportive of, because they started to argue the justice system back to where it needed to be, right? 
And so today, when people use the justice system for political means, we sh- all people should be opposed, regardless of your political affiliation, should be opposed to that. Uh, for instance, just recently, uh, yesterday, I was reading about the Michigan Attorney General arrested a restaurant owner who immigrated to the United States. And the Michigan Attorney General uh, issued an arrest warrant for this person in the county that they lived. And the county sheriff said, I refuse to arrest this person. I reject this warrant because it is unconstitutional. And so what she did is she uh, filed it in the county where the state capital is, and then they sent the state police to arrest this immigrant. And she said publicly, the reason I'm arresting them is because they went on a news program and criticized me personally. So they're just literally using the law for their own game. <laughs> yeah, that that is insane. That's insane. And, you know, the only, the, so, so the thing is, is that what we should do is we should have Christians across the board running for these positions and trying to get involved in these positions, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're conservative or liberal. If you're a Christian, you go in there and your number one goal should be, I'm a citizen of heaven first. And so the way I uh, execute my office has to be ethically, and I have to understand that I can't use it for political purposes. It has to be used to keep the tool and the efficacy of the tool, i.e. government, uh, principled. Otherwise, we lose all of that. So instead of encouraging young people who are Christians to view politics as this filthy business to be avoided at all costs, uh, we should be teaching them that it's an earthly game and we need to learn how to play it the best we can um, to the best of our abilities. So what are some ground rules for playing this game to the best of our abilities without getting sucked down into the, the slop and the mud? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, stay focused on principles and not individuals. Uh, It says in Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark uh, uh, world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the game is primarily played through rhetoric, postulates, logic, reason, rationality, data, anything and everything that has to do with these principles. So stay focused on that. And I believe when you actually get real authentic data and you use uh, reason and logic, it will always point to the truth. And remember, all truth, if it's true, true, then it's God's truth because God is truth. He is love. He's holiness and truth. He's absolute. So you, you can't lose the argument when you focus in that way. So it's obvious that this is a topic we could dig into for a long time. Yes. But uh, as we're wrapping up today, we're getting towards the end. What are some specific things you think Jesus would be saying to the politicians today in America? Okay, here's where I get to throw a little curveball to everybody. Because in America, in our form of government, it simply says the government is for the people and by the people. So we vote for people to represent us. And basically that means every American citizen is a politician. Please don't get mad at me for insulting you. Your brain just exploded. It's (laughs) how dare you insult me like that? I can't believe you would call me something as disgusting as that. 
But we are. We, every single American citizen, is a politician. So I think that Jesus would focus his remarks to all of us, the politicians. And I think there's a couple things we need to remember, and that is is that he says, you know, if you go out and be the salt and light in a dark and terrible world, it's a senseless world. It's filled with senseless, evil things that Satan uses human beings to achieve. Our goal is to go out and be salt, be light, we do this through love. First and foremost, Jesus said, people will know you follow me by your love for one another. So the more we love each other in the family of God, the better it is. The better we support each other, the more positive things that we focus on and invest in, the better the political environment is going to be. The more we uh, stay away from Gramsci's cultural hegemony and the attempt to control information and censor positions, we should protect free speech. We should protect uh, justice and what it's for. We should we should focus on judges and people who are strict constitutionalists. Their goal isn't to change it, manipulate it, or warp it into whatever they want. We need to have people just stick with the Constitution. And so I think that's great. The other thing, too, is just remember this. I understand many of you are hurt, you're angry, you're upset. Maybe you're disgusted with what's going on in the world right now. You feel no one is representing you. Many people feel this way because... During the pandemic, they were extremely pressured, restricted, displaced. They've lost income. They've seen the education of their children fall way behind. They've seen freedom to see their own loved ones taken away. And, and what, so what do you do? How do you respond to this? You know, well, first and foremost, don't become an irrational re- rebel. Be secure in Christ. First and foremost, focus on Christ. Be secure in Christ. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. And number two, this is your opportunity to go strong. This means emotionally courageous. Don't fall into despair, anxiety, or worry. These things are your enemy. They are not your friends. Faith is your friend. So be a politician in the world today, but be a politician for Jesus that's how you change the world. Well, I think that's a great place for us to kind of finish up today. Um, you're obviously going to be talking more about this on Sunday, um, kind of expounding on a couple more points and wrapping up this portion about what would Jesus say to our politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really encourage you guys, we are coming up on Easter. So if you've not figured out which friends you're inviting to Easter, whether to watch online or be physically on campus, I would do that. We've got the three services. If you go to foothills.org Easter, all of our Easter activities are posted on there. So we're partnering with two other churches for Good Friday um, and doing a worship night here at Foothills. Saturday's an Easter egg hunt here at Foothills with all different age brackets. And then obviously three services worth of Easter services on Sunday. So if you have not made a plan yet, make a plan because <laughs> Easter's coming. You. Yes, we'd love to have you on Easter. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you on Sunday here in beautiful Boise, Idaho at Foothills Christian Church.